so much battle, bloodshed, and war. And there's always two sides, aren't there? Uh, there's, in times of war, there's, there's allies, and there are enemies. Uh, you know, there are assets, and there are threats. You know, what do we do with these, these enemies and threats in our lives? You know, we, we see, you know, we're going to be looking into the book of Colossians. You can turn there right now, Colossians chapter 3. But you turn there, you know, God has a very, he's, he's very, it's quite clear when there are threats to his name or to his people. Uh, we don't like talking about this, but it's true. It's in the scriptures. This is a God, this is a character of our God that we may not be too comfortable talking about, but it's true. There was a time in our history where God would call his people to wipe out civilizations. Uh, to put to death um, an entire race. Uh, for those who are, are, are familiar with the Old Testament, in, 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 the, in the Samuels and Chronicles, uh, we see uh, two, uh, two uh, civilizations, the Israelites and you know, the Philistines. You know, God commanded you know, Samuel and all the judges to, to, to wipe away, to kill the Philistines. The Amalekites and so many nations. Why? Because these people were a threat to the livelihood, to the joy and the promises of, of God the Father. Whoa, that's really intense. Yeah. You know what? I mean, genocide. I mean, these are, these are things in the scriptures that we read. And they're there. Well, we know, if you, if you read further in, 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 those, in those texts... Did the Israelites completely obey the Lord? No, they didn't. They didn't completely drive out the Philistines. In fact, they intermarried with the Philistines. Not only that, but they worshipped the idols of the other nations. So obviously God was not pleased, to say the least. Uh, they, they come with consequences. We see that in scriptures. Uh, the Israelites lost their land. You know, their kings uh, died horrifically. Their cities were destroyed. Families were broken. Uh, parents and children were separated. A nation was exiled. A religion was lost. A civilization was gone. You know, the question that we want to answer today, in light of the context we just read, uh, actually in the last few weeks in Colossians, is what do we do with the threats in our life? That's the, that's the question we want to answer today. What do we do with the threats in our life? I've got a couple points today. Uh, my first point is, you know, put to death your earthly desires. And second point is Christ is all and in all. Amen? Let's read the text. And I'm going to start in verse 1. But I'll be, high, I'll be focusing from verses 5 through 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in Him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, 
impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen? First point, put to death your earthly desires. Execute them. Assassinate them. These are the things that belong to your earthly nature. Slay the evil desires of your heart. That is what the scriptures say. These are, these sins are the threats. Not just having a relationship with God. But they are threats. Because they hinder these ongoing sins. That we may be practicing in our lives as Christians. Because this letter is written to who? Is it written to the atheists? Is it written to the pagans? No, it's it's written to Christians. Men and women who repented have been baptized, been buried, who've been raised again. It will hinder your growth to God. Growth with God. God wants to change you. We all still have a choice in how we will live after conversion. So, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, at first, I was going to define each of the sins. And we, and we will, but I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I really am excited about my second point. Okay? We, we've, we've, heard, we've heard the do's and do nots. And I'll spare you, but I, I think because the scriptures, uh, we want to bring, bring honor to the scriptures. And let's define some of these. Are we with me? So, there's 11 of these, okay? Uh, some I'll go really quick. Some I will expand a little. Number one, well, there's two categories here. The, the first one in, in verses, uh, you know, five, uh, these are more the sensual sins. The, the, actually, more sexual sins. So the sins of the flesh, working out of the heart. The others we're going to talk about here are the sins of, uh, you call them social sins, uh, sins of the speech, sins of how we look at, uh, look at one another as neighbors. But let's look at this first one here. Sexual immorality. Greek word, porneia. You know, sexual immorality, the way whenever I have a study, uh, we call in our church uh, a light and darkness study, for those who remember that, yeah. or, uh, or we study on sin, I usually ask the person who I'm studying with, you know, define, could you define what sexual immorality is? And usually the answer I get are, are, are you know, are, are sins of sexual nature, anywhere from adultery, fornication, premarital sex, uh, homosexuality, and, and all these sins, okay, uh, that fall under the umbrella of sexual morality. Uh, I, I like to define sexual morality what, 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 where sex is immoral. Or when is sex moral? When is sex right? Well, sex is right when, when, when first of all, who created sex? Who invented sex? It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a drive. It's a gift from the Lord. 
And when we, when we, when we contaminate the sin, uh, then we, per, we, we, we perverse the creation that God is intended to be. You know, I remember one, one preacher once saying that sexual morality is dating gone disordered. You know, uh, from, 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 a, from a single's perspective. It is, you know, in marriage, for those who are married, we know what sex is meant to be. It's when we are giving our entire selves to serve our partner. Where in sexual morality, in premarital sex, or anything near that, it, it's totally the opposite. It's, yeah. it's totally perverse. It's basically, I want to take what's for me. Yeah. Yeah. At a time that is not right. Yeah. At a time that is not a, a ordained or appointed. I want it now. Yeah. Which is the total opposite of what God intends it to be. The giving of your entire self to the other person. Yeah. Selfless act of love. And it is the greatest example. And we see that with, 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 with Jesus on the cross. That's sexual immorality. Selfless. So selfish. And not too far from that is adultery. Uh, because we'll see even in the line of that context. It talks about covenants. You know, desiring a, your neighbor's wife. Let's talk about impurity. Impurity or uncleanliness usually follows sexual immorality. It refers to a general impurity. It means lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. Let's think about that. Basically, if any act or thought, motive, of or from the flesh, is not pure and holy, it is most likely impure. Do not be deceived. Remember, if any part or member of the body is awakened to lust, the sin of impurity is not very far. Mm -hmm. Know this, especially as a single man. Very, very familiar with this sin. It is really a matter of loose or controlled living. Seeing. You know, it's not even a single man. Married men struggle with this too. I know, being married for 13 years. Singles don't think that when you're married, this goes away. You know, seeing, hearing, touching, going, thinking, desiring. We are constantly bombarded by sexual alluring messages, aren't we? The sights and sounds these days, even the smells. Wherever you go, wherever you walk, wherever you work, where you work out, where you go shopping, getting online, texting, driving you will most likely encounter some form of impurity. And it will visually stimulate your sensual flesh that desires it. It is in the beginning of the day. It is throughout the day. It is right before you go to bed. It is right there crouching at your door of your heart. You know, I have... A lot of single brothers, you know, that I, I counsel in my, you know, in, in my ministry. And what, one of the, the most common sins of confession, which I'm very grateful for the, the, the gift of confession, mm-hmm. to bring so much light and joy afterwards, yeah. you know, is the sin of impurity in all kinds and forms and fashions. You know, I, I usually ask, you know, the, the brother... How did you prepare yourself that day? That hour before the temptation arrived? You know, 10 out of 10 times, the reason why, why they fall is there was no preparation of the mind. Their, their heart is, is wide open 
And it's only a matter of time where they fall. Because why? Because of loose living. They're not, it's, it's not controlled. It's not encapsulated. It is not tight. It is not airtight. You know, we, if we go around thinking that it's going to be okay, you've already fallen. Yes. If your mind is not protected, you're going to go and understand impurity. You know, it's, it's, it's like a cancer. It, it just goes on and on. It's a real threat. It, it steals the joy of your walk with God. It kills. We've got to kill this one. Amen? Amen. It's not just the brothers, too. Women yeah. struggle with two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to bring this. Because the next set of li- li- sins is, after impurity, lust. Or in other versions, passionate desires. Passionate lust. You know, lust and evil desires usually go together. Um, translated in NIV, this lust is, is a strong desire gone good. And there's sex is a good thing. But when it's strong and loose and not contained, it, it, it goes bad really quick. Whether you're single or married. Uh, so think about this. What is lust? It, it, it's a state of mind. That excites sexual impurity. You with me? It's a state of mind. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite can always find opportunity to satisfy it. It refers most often to the misdirected fulfillment of bodily appetites. An evil desire is a passion that is uncontrolled, loose. It becomes habitual. When it, this lust goes unchecked, that passion, that passion usually goes where forbidden, for, where, where something's forbidden arises. Because there's, there, there, there's an excitement about it. It's hidden, it's secret. Habits are formed which, which feed each other. Lust encourages passion, passion encourages lust. They go hand in hand. And what you have is a perversion. It is clear that desires lead to deeds, which leads to death, as we know in James. Appetites lead to actions. You know, we just had Halloween, or you want to call it a candy, candy collecting nights, right? <laughs> you know, we got, I got these four big buckets of, uh, well, they, they feel big to the kids. They're really small, but to them, they're big. They're, they're, they're little jack-o'-lantern looking type of uh, pails, you know? And then there are lots of candy. You know, if I were to scatter, if I wanted to create an appetite for my children to want these things, what would I do? Just kind of, just kind of scatter and just leave it all over the house, you know? And that's what's going to happen. It, it will satisfy their appetite. However, my wife is a strong enforcer of healthy eating. And I'm sure a lot of mothers here are too. You know, how do we, how do we, how do we enforce that appetite? Well, one, we take away all of those jack-o'-lantern, you know, sugar, you know, drugs, you know, whatever you want to call them, right? We take them all away and we put apples. We put oranges. We put grapes and celery and carrots everywhere. Guess what happens to the appetite? Don't get me wrong, it's still there, but not as what? Not as strong. You know, I, it, it's the same with our minds. Brothers and sisters, this, I'm talking to the brothers and sisters of the church right now. What are you cultivating in your mind? What appetites? You know, where are you going? Where are you hanging out? Where are you, where are you putting your thoughts to? Where are you putting your eyes at, your ears? Are you being a chump? You know, are you letting Satan just kind of walk you? Like a dog, you know, just going ready to fall. The scriptures are very clear here. Put it to death. Put it to death. You know, let's talk about greed and covetousness. You know, covetousness, well, greed in the past year, but it's, it's coveting. You know, coveting is a sin that always wants more. Whether it be more things or more pleasures. 
You know, I mean, we just recently just had uh, Thanksgiving, you know, what usually happens uh, when you have the paper? It's so much more heavier for some reason on a, on a Thursday, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because why do you have, I mean, um, I mean, at least 70% of that weight is coupons and where you can go and spend your, your hard-earning cash. Don't get me wrong, great deals, early Christmas shopping, good gift givers, amen, that's great. But we are, we are bombarded by the world to want more, to desire more. The covetous person is never satisfied with what he or she has. And or it could usually turn into envy of what other people have that you don't have. This is idolatry. Ooh, that's a strong word. That's what scripture said. This is idolatry. <laughs> Who's, who, who knows their Ten Commandments? You know, a lot of us, you know, a lot of the families, you know, we usually recite this. I know some, sometimes you don't know that two or three one, you know, because they're all kind of saying, you know, do not, you know, do not put anything before the Lord. Well, that, that is the number one, uh, com- uh, uh, number one command. Do not put anything before God. Do not serve any other God. Do not have any idols. And what's the last command? Do not covet. Wow. Scripture says, do not covet, which is idolatry. It's almost like, do not do the, obey the 10th commandment, because if you do, you're disobeying the first commandment. Right. It's amazing how one commandment affects all the others. Just think about it. You know, um, you, you can sin and, and you can covet, but a covetous person will dishonor God, take God's name in vain, lie, steal, commit every other sin in order to satisfy his or her sinful desires. That's what covetous does. You know, this, co- this sin of covenant is like a virus. It negatively affects what? Your gratitude. Your contentment. Your joy. You know, I have everything. I'm amply supplied. I have enough. God has given me. That's what covenant does. It's a virus. This threat has a successful potency to make you what? It's very successful. Greed is very successful. It's very potent. You know why? It, it, it has a great way of helping you forget what God has already given you already. You know that these are the sins of these are the sins of of the sensual nature. We haven't gone through the second part of the second part of this uh, this section right here. But what, so, question is, what do we do with the threats in our life? These are threats. These are threats that steal away our joy. That makes us feel awkward. That makes us walk around feeling dejected, disappointed. Why am I here? You know, ask, you've got to ask yourself, are you truly executing these sins in your life? Or are you rather accommodating them? Mm, come on, bro. You know, we're going to get into these next second sins. These, these sins, you know, you know, these sins, what I'm going to talk to you about, what we just talked about right now, they're meant to drag your life as a Christian. It's exactly what Satan wants of all of us. Because he knows that we're saved. He knows that we're secure. He knows that we can find, we can set our minds up. We've been raised. But if he can get us, if he can get us keeping these sins alive in our bodies, in our minds and hearts, then your life will be a drag as a Christian. You will feel dull. You will lose interest. You will feel critical. You will be bored out of your mind. Because of what? Because of sin. That is the effect of sin. Every time we fall into sin, you desire to entertain that sin, that's what you have chosen. I have chosen that I want my life to be a drag. Why don't you think about that? I want my life to be, you know, I want to be pitiful. That's exactly what's going on because that's the truth. It's not what Satan will tell you, but that's the truth. You know, what we're going to talk about here, anger, 
malice, rage, wrath, filthy language. You know, these are the tiny acts of murder. You know, in, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you know, you shall, you, you've heard, you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you are angry, you have committed that sin in your heart. Oh, no, 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 no way you can put anger, you know, up, to, uh, uh, up in murder. But the Bible says we need to get rid of these things. Anger. What is anger? It's a simmering frustration. Holding it in. Thinking you are so powerful that you have, you are, you are one up over the person who's offended you. And it's very real, even in marriages, even in parenting. You know, I struggle with that. I struggle with this. this. This is the sin that I'm working with right now. This is the one sin that I want to put to death. I was recently in a, in a discipling um, a meeting. Um, there was an elder present. And he shared something that really struck my heart. You know, and he says, you know, Kirk, I don't know you too well, but I know you enough just from kind of passing by with you. And I'm sure some of you can, can agree with this. I, I, I sense this undercurrent of frustration in your life. And that, really, that really got to me. You know, and another brother who was sitting in there, another minister, says, you know what, Kurt? Do you really trust God? You know, can you accept your lot in life? You know, you perhaps may actually enjoy it if you just trust your father. And what he has given you and allowed to have happen in your life. You know, again, we all have our deck of cards. All of us do. Some way worse and some not less. But, but are you content? Is there an undercurring frustration in your life that maybe perhaps God is like, you know what? I'm going to pin you down here. I mean, do, do we feel that? You know, because if, 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 we don't, if, we're, if we don't if we don't talk about that, then there's going to be this simmering boil. That will turn into rage one day. And I know I see it happen every so often. Unfortunately, I'm being open here, because, but it's true. I, I want to put this to death. I know when, when, when my wife and I have a disagreement, I, I have a tendency as I'm driving, I will grab my steering wheel. Now, I'm not, it's not going to come out out of, out of anger, or, but I, I start clenching my fists. Uh, uh, and that, 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 that's, that's a fit of rage. I need to put that to death. Uh, that, that, that is not right. It, it, it steals my joy. It hurts my wife. And it, it hurts God and the church. You know, that, that's what rage and wrath is. It's an accelerated temper ready to blow. You know, malice. That, that, that's just having an ill will towards somebody. Maybe someone in here in the fellowship. We're not talking, we're not talking about people in the world. We're talking about here. Maybe there's somebody here that slighted you. Or kind of like, you know... That you may be critical of. Maybe, maybe they said something or didn't say something or they said they were going to do something but they didn't do it or they said it the wrong way. Whatever it is, yeah. the, 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 we have these harboring ill will towards one another at times. <laughs> these, are little, these are the little cockroaches, the pests that enter our fellowship. We've got to encapsulate those, 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 those thoughts. We've got to bring it to the Lord and make it obedient to Christ. If you know what? I will forgive this person. You may not know. She may not know she even did this, but I forgive her. Why? Because God has forgiven me. Amen. You know, it doesn't even have to be in this room. It could be your family member. You know, is there a deep, is there a deep-seated resentment you have towards somebody in your life? Is this, these are hard things to talk about. I get it. Is there somebody in your life, whether it's a parent or a sibling or even a spouse or even an ex-spouse? You know, 
we got to get rid of these things. Because it's just only going to multiply in your crawl space, which is your heart. The next thing you know, you've you got, you got a family of pests that's overridden your heart. And it creates mold, and it decays you. You know, your, your bones start rotting, you start aging, you, you start get so consumed, and it just takes control of you like a drug. And we've got to get rid of this. No filthy language. No, the, the, those words that we may not say, it, but it's in our hearts. We've got to get rid of those. No lying. You know, the scripture says here, you know, it, it's amazing. It separates this one sin among the rest. We talked about, you know, get rid of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from the lips. And in verse 9, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. What does that mean? Do not lie to one another. You know, I heard a sermon online, and, so in, in, in the way it was translated, it really, really got to me. I never heard this, but I want to share with you. When a scripture says, do not lie to each other, that, what could that mean? Perhaps it means this. Because we hear the do not there a lot, huh? Yeah. You know, our hearts tend to say, oh, I don't want to hear a do not. You said, no, do not. <laughs> but look at it this way. The scripture saying, do not lie to one another. What if it really meant this? We love you. Come to us. We want to help you. Come to the church. You do not need to hide anymore. Mm. Confess it. Let's talk about it. Let's get in the light. Healing begins here. Mm. No, do not lie. Amen. Do not be, whatever you're trying to hide, it, it, it's deteriorating your soul. You know, it may, it may have been a loss. I mean, maybe there's a loss in your, in your life, in your past, that maybe you haven't fully reconciled. These are hard things. These are tough things. You know, as we get older, it gets tougher. Maybe there is a fulfillment that wasn't, that, that wasn't met. Maybe there is a dream that got to cut short. Talk about those things. You know, bring, bring some light into it. Healing begins here. Amen? Amen. You know, put these things to death. God does not say to control them, all right? He does not say to manage these things. He does not say to contain these things right. like a pet. Yeah. We treat these threats like pets. No, they're pests. Amen. They're not pets. They're pests. Amen. All right? They, 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 they're not joyful to have around. Um, put them to death. Execute them. Slay them. You know, Colossians is a scary book. It, it can really be a scary book. You know why? Because it's written to disciples. Because why? It's these things because the wrath of God is coming. Sin is serious. Yeah. So some of you guys are asking, Kirk, I get it. I've been trying to put this to death, but why am I not able to put it to death? Some of you may be asking. No. Don't need to ask you to raise your hands. I know we all are asking that. <laughs> Myself too. That's why this, this is a very difficult lesson for me. Uh, to preach, but it was, it's been so, so magnifying and it's helped. It's been helpful for me. Amen. I hope it is for you. So, how do you kill sin? How do you put the death sin? First of all, we need to ask the question is why do we even sin at all? We, we, as we know, we're fallen creatures. We're more inclined to sin. Yes, get that. But I'm going to present a reason why this may be the case. Why do you sin? Perhaps because it is a belief issue. I want you to really sink this in. Perhaps it is a belief issue. There is perhaps something deep within yourself 
believing that this sin will somehow make you more satisfied, which is lust. Somehow this sin will somehow make you think that you are living life to the full and that you will be happier, which is passionate lust and evil desires. Perhaps this sin will make you feel like you're thinking you're getting ahead and your contentment will grow, which is the sin of greed. Perhaps you, you, the sin will make you feel better, make you feel more righteous, that you have your, you've got your stuff going right. That is malice and gossip. Perhaps this sin makes you feel like you are so powerful, that you're in control, that you are right and justified. That is the sin of anger and wrath. Maybe this sin makes you feel like you're more respected, that you're strong. That is malice and filthy language. And lastly, maybe this sin makes you think that you're going to look better. That is the sin of lying. These are all belief systems in our heads, isn't it? These are all belief systems. My second and final point. Christ is all and in all. Verse 10. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. The Christ is all and in all. Can I get an amen to that one? Well, hopefully the amen will be louder after this point. Because Christ is all and in all. So how do... I kill sin in my life. How do we, how do you kill sin in your life? First, we need to find out why we sin. And remember, I talked about it's probably a belief issue in the first place. Let me say this really quick. Please do not see this sermon as another do or do not sermon. Instead, see this sermon as a relationship calling. It's a, it's a call to protect and preserve your relationship with God. Because these sins are threats with our walk with God. Amen. Can I get an amen on that one? But why do we have a difficult time putting to death these sins? The scripture is so clear. Voices. There are voices chirping, tweeting in our minds and our hearts. These little voices. Yeah, it's a belief issue. Please, please hang with me here, all right? I'm going I'm to present three voices. Number one, it is impossible. Number two, it is pointless. Number three, it is okay. Start with the first one. It is impossible, says experience. It is impossible, says experience. You can't do it. You've tried everything. You've been to seminars. You've seen counselors. You've gone open, you've fasted, you've memorized scripture, you go on and on, you've tried everything. It's impossible. I'm not going to ask who feels that, because I know, I know it's true for some of us. Yeah. I can't change. You know, the bottom shelf is all I can, is all I can get. It's the bottom shelf. I can't, I can't set my heart on things above. I want the bottom shelf. Yeah. 
You know what the bottom shelf is? It's like before you get married. As a single brother, this, these, this is my grocery list. Cheap 25 cents toilet paper. Can of Spam. The master of MSG, ramen noodles. All right? Cardboard pizza. Cardboard cereal. You know what I'm talking about, those generic brands that just taste like cardboard? They're just stale. And I was happy with that. I was happy with that. You know, in marketing, there, there's a principle called, um, it's called a biobehavioral theory, where basically all that simply means is that uh, you can predict one's future behavior by looking at their what? Their past behavior. So if that's where you've been trending, then yeah, it's almost impossible to break that trend. You know, bottom shelf, that's all I want. That's all I can get, this is all I can do, yadi da da. But you know what? That's not true, as a Christian. Because what does Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 say? Since you have been raised with Christ, the pattern has changed. You are totally different. The past has gone away with. The old self is done away with. You are a new, you are a new creation, as Mark Johnson shared. He is new. He is brand new. And I'm going to use him as an example for this point. Because I thought it was a great communion, very vulnerable, yeah. and, and very inspiring. Because here's a man who did not fall for these three voices, uh, as, as a, a lot of us are here. The truth is, you have been raised. You are new. You, your new behaviors occurred. You, are, you now seek the top shelf. Now you get that nice, expensive toilet paper. Maybe those flush wipes, you know, whatever it is, you know. You know, maybe, maybe, you know it's not spam, it's grass feed, ribeye, tenderloin. You know, it's not, it's not cardboard pizza. I'm going to Marco's, I'm going to Uno's, I'm going to, I'm going to Pizza Hut. You know, I'm top shelf now. You know, God's given me a lot. You know, and thank, you know what, thanks to marriage. That, that, that is true for me. You know, do you believe that you've been raised with Christ? Do you believe that you are you're destined for top shelf items? You are, you are, you really are. This is not just a spiritual nice saying, church. Oh, you've been raised with Christ. No, this is reality. Yeah. You have the power and ability to desire Him. Yeah. Where before you could not, it was impossible. Yes, it was impossible to put the death sins. Why? Because you did not have the capacity to desire Him. But now you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. You really do. Then why are you here? Why is it when you fall in sin that you have this urge to like get together with a brother or a sister? Why do you have this urge to want to always do the right thing? Why is this urge that, you know, I'm not getting on my quiet time. I'm going to do it anyway. You do have it. You have that desire where before you didn't have. Where did that come from? Because you were raised with Christ. You no longer, your future predictors are no longer, are no longer set by past behavior because you have changed. Your, uh, your, your alignment has totally changed. Amen. Number two, it is pointless. Put to death, no, it is pointless, says reason. Says reason. Your mind has decided that nobody's ever going, nobody's ever going to be perfect. <laughs> two reasons. Here, here are the two reasons why. You may think it's pointless. Number one, and this is probably true for a lot of us. You have lost the horror of offending the majesty in heaven. You have lost the horror and the fear and reverence. You have not believed on the day of wrath. That's probably why you say it's pointless. You are thinking horizontally. 
You're not thinking vertically. Gotta think. You know, God's wrath is real. Let me ask you this. People are always posting on Facebook a lot. I dare you. But what often do you, what often do you see this as a posting on Facebook? You know what? I just meditated on the wrath of God. And that was enough. And I have decided to put to death my anger. I have decided to put to death my lust. I have decided to put death the lion or whatever. You know, these are threats. You know, the other, the other, the other lie is, on this pointless reason, is that the day of your conversion was just a one-day event. Meaning which the change happened there, and God's really no longer there anymore. It's probably why I'm still sitting the way I am right now. That is probably the greatest and biggest lie. Because we see in verse 10 that this new self is being renewed. Being renewed, present participle, ongoing, constant, is being renewed by the knowledge of the image of its creator. Translation. It is not pointless to put to death. God wants you to put it death because he is purposeful. It is not pointless. God is changing you. You may not believe it, but it's true. It is so true. Remember before you became a Christian? Remember before you started studying the Bible? Now I know you may be in the midst of your sin right now. But think about it. I'm telling you, you have grown in so many ways than when you first believed. You are so much more patient. You are so, you are not as angry as you think you are. You are so much more patient. But why do I always feel no? It's because the loads of life just increased. If you weren't a Christian, you may have committed murder already. Come on, bro. You know, you may think you're lustful, but you have grown to desire purity. You really have. You know, you may think that you're unforgiving towards this one member, and you know, God will see to it that you will forgive that member. But if, if you weren't a Christian, you, 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 would ha- you would not only be harboring resentment towards family members, but towards your boss, towards everyone that walks. There are people who walk like this every day. They totally have a chip on their shoulder with anybody they meet. It could be someone you don't even know. That's who you could be, but you're not. And whatever you're struggling with right now, God intends to remove and eliminate that. But you got to believe. You know, I think sometimes, you know, I was reading this from someone, um, maybe we need to have like a theology of struggling, of how to struggle. Because I think there, there, you know, it's a pointless reason, I think there's, there's two sides that we have to, we have to uh, be, uh, be aware of, and these are extremes. One, I have to live a sinless, perfect life. The other side is like, you know what? There's no point. Yeah. I, 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 I'm destined to destruction. Yeah. You know, both sides are extremes. You've got to avoid that. Yeah. Because if you, if you try to aim for those or are living in those, then you are going to always feel like it's a drag. It's always going to feel like I have, I have... Why am I even here? Some of you may be asking. Perhaps we do need some sort of teaching and education how to struggle. Mm. Didn't, didn't Jesus... Didn't, didn't, isn't the scripture saying... That we need to persevere. We need to fight. We need to fight the good fight. You know, it's going to be pain and trouble in this world. You know, what, what are the signs of, of healthy struggling? Let me offer some. Perhaps seeing victory. Listen, listen. 
is hating sin more and more as you grow to become a Christian, as you're becoming more like Christ. Hating sin more and more. How about this? How about this idea of like getting open? Not getting comfortably open, but getting open with even more deeper rooted sins. What if, you know, I know as a young Christian, we were all focused on the tip of the iceberg sins. And I tell, I tell us my singles, you know, when, when we're confessing our sins, we were only confessing the iceberg. That as, as we grow older as Christians, we realize like, oh my goodness, there was this huge chunk that I didn't know that was there. Yeah. What, you think God didn't forgive that? Yeah. Oh, God already knew about that. That was already taken care of. You're just now seeing it now. But God, God forgave the entire picture. Yeah. No, but what am I getting here? Maybe a, a, a sign of victory that you are struggling healthy is that no longer it's the surface sins. Now you're seeing the depth of your pride. And your selfishness. And your self. And just wanting self. Desiring self. And, and really hitting it at that level. But, but, but not leading away always feeling dejected. But feeling, wow. Wow. I didn't know that was there. And God forgave that. Whoa, what else, what else am I going to see 10 years from now? 20, well, God forgave that too. We've we got to understand that, that God's grace is so wide and so deep that you don't even know and comprehend. But see, Satan wants you to believe like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know about that sin. Or that sin is going to happen later. I didn't know about that. And he's going he's gonna to make you fall for the lie thinking that I am worthless. Why am I even here? Am I even going to make it? We need to have this, this, this healthy understanding. God is so graceful. Come on, sir. No, and lastly, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be okay. I'm going to move on here. Um, I'm going to ask you this. You may ask, why do some Christians sin less than you do? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe there's a brother and sister in your ministry. Why, 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 are, why do they seem to be sinning? Why do I feel I'm sinning more than they are? Why are some of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ appear to have conquered the sin of lust, <coughs> impurity, anger, bitterness, greed, fear, and worry? Are they like superhuman or something? Come on, Kurt. Why am I still rotting in my old self? Why am I still wearing those old gray clothes that I should have removed a long time ago? Why am I going back to my old rags, giving in to temptation again and again and again, which only leads to disappointment, more discouragement, more self-pity, more frustration, more insecurity, more guilt, and so on. Can you relate? Yeah. Here is an answer I want to present. Perhaps maybe because, well, I don't think it's maybe because I think it is true. Because yeah. I know I was that guy that asked that question. Why is my brother getting so blessed and conquering and living a life of joy and, and amazing grace and everything. I believe it's because my brother and sister, perhaps your brother and sister is conquered, has believed more in the right thing than you have. Perhaps the brother and sister that you're wondering, why are they so victorious? It's because they believe more in the right thing than you have. Did you get that? Yeah. They are not sentimental. They understand the consequences of sin today and later. They believe and they have been raised and they also believe in the wrath of God. They believe that sin significantly hurts their relationship with God and everybody else around them. They believe that. I'm telling you, this is about an issue of faith and belief. 
That is why your brother and sister is conquering easily and becoming greater every day. I don't want you to leave here feeling discouraged. You can make a decision right now. That you know what? Enough is enough. I am going to start believing that I am raised with, a de- uh, with Christ. I'm going to start believing that God's wrath is real. You know, there's an added bonus. When the threats are removed, who also benefits? Not just yourself, but the family. The church benefits. God benefits. You know, that, that is what this sermon is all about. It is about glorifying God. Amen? Amen. You know, what was, my, what was my, my, my second point? Christ is all in all. That is the password. That is the password to the Wi-Fi, the voice that you need to be listening to. It's 16 characters, by the way, so you didn't notice that. Christ is all in all, all right? You know, usually, usually uh, the, the Wi-Fi is about 16 characters, all right? Strand. But that's the password. Christ is all and in all. Is that enough? Is that enough? You know, in closing, please do not see, as I said this again, not another sermon to, of do's and do-nots. It's not really about that. It's really a sermon relationship calling for you to understand how so much God wants to have a relationship with you. For you to grow in the knowledge of Him and the Creator. And knowing that the Holy Spirit wants to do damage on your sinful nature. The Holy Spirit is the power residing within your hearts and minds. If you will let Him, if you can believe that you've been raised with Christ. That He has the power to assassinate those threats in your life. Amen? Amen. You have to let it. You have to let it. You know, Bami just shared last, last week that we need to be connected with Jesus. We need to be connected with the Holy Spirit. So we are always looking top shelf. We just look at things that we should put to death. You know, this Tuesday, we're going to look about the things that we should make alive. Amen. You know, this, this, this is like a part, part three series here. So what was the question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon? How are we going to conquer these pests, these threats that degrade our joy and our relationship with God. Well, it's very simple. Put them to death. Can I hear that? Put them to death. So say it again. Put them to death. Louder. Put them to death. Put them to death. Put them to death. How? By obeying and listening to the only one voice. And that is Jesus. It is not impossible, experience says. It is not pointless, reason says. It is not okay. It is not okay because the heart says. Jesus says, just do it. Put it to death. And who benefits in the end? God. Not just you, not just the church, but God is honored and glorified. Amen. Let's be that in the South Beach region of the Hampton Roads Church. Amen.